Welcome to 502 Conversations. I'm Brian Kirby, and my guest today is Dr. Robert Bartholomew. Dr. Bartholomew, how are you doing today? Fine, thank you. And you are joining me from Auckland, New Zealand. That's right. Weather's beautiful down here. I have a brief intro on you, and then we will get right at it. Dr. Bartholomew is a medical sociologist, writer, journalist, and human rights advocate, well known for his books on social panics and outbreaks of mass hysteria throughout history. He has examined cases ranging from demonically possessed nuns during the Middle Ages to the Salem witch hunts of 1692 to contemporary episodes involving twitching schoolgirls in Leroy, New York, to the students at a Massachusetts school who hiccuped for a year. An honorary senior lecturer in the Department of Psychological Medicine at the University of Auckland, New Zealand, he has written 17 books, including Hoaxes, Myths, and Manias, Why We Need Critical Thinking, Outbreak, The Encyclopedia of Extraordinary Social Behavior, and Havana Syndrome, Mass Psychogenic Illness, and The Real Story Behind the Embassy Mystery and Hysteria. You are the author of more than 60 scholarly publications, have been featured in National Geographic series on modern myths, and have appeared on the History and Discovery channels. You are a fellow with the Center for Inquiry in Amherst, New York, and you hold a PhD in sociology from James Cook University in Australia, a master's in American sociology from the State University of New York at Albany, and a master's in Australian sociology from the Flinders University of South Australia. Man. You have been busy, I must say. I do a lot of writing and uh, research. I'm, I usually spend three to four hours a day and half for the last 30 years from uh, about seven o'clock at night to uh, 11 or 12 at night uh, doing writing and research uh, just specifically for books. Wow. And sometimes I start these conversations with the fact that I'm not the brightest bulb in the box or in the room. And no more is it true now, I feel. This is amazing that the work that you've done in your career, I must say. Ho hopefully you'll feel the same way at the end of the interview. <laughs> I'm sure. So I want to talk to you about Havana Syndrome. You have written a book on it. You've written several articles. Um, I didn't make it all the way through the book because it just came, but I've read your articles. And again, it's back in the news quite a bit. But before we speak about it specifically, can you define what people mean when they say Havana Syndrome and what are the symptoms? Well, that's a good question. Uh, look, name a symptom. It's probably there. There are so many symptoms of Havana syndrome, headache, nausea, dizziness, fatigue, difficulty concentrating, disorientation, forgetfulness, confusion, um, insomnia, tinnitus, balance problems, spatial awareness problems, head pressure, ear pain, and supposedly brain damage and hearing loss but that's not true. Um, nosebleeds, depression, so many things have been put under Havana syndrome. It's really uh, absurd and ridiculous at this point. Um, so Havana syndrome are these uh, symptoms that started to appear in late 2016 among diplomats at the American embassy in Havana, Cuba. And then they later spread to the Canadian diplomats, and now they've spread around the world. So that, in a nutshell, is uh, Havana syndrome. Let's talk about um, a specific area of your expertise. You are a medical sociologist, so what is mass psychogenic illness? Think of mass psychogenic illness 
as the placebo effect in a reverse. If I give you a sugar pill and tell you you're going to feel better, often you will. It's the power of expectation and framing. But if I were to give you a sugar pill and then someone rushed in and said, oh my God, that sugar pill I just gave you, it's been contaminated with rat poison. There's a good chance that within a few minutes you might get stomach pain, nausea, dizziness. You might even vomit, but there's nothing physically wrong with you. Think of it as a software problem, an overstimulation of the nervous system. And these symptoms typically reflect the event scenario. So if you thought you had food poisoning, you're likely to have stomach pain. If you think you've been exposed to some noxious chemical, you might get tearing of the eyes. And MPI, I'll call it MPI for short most of the time, is it well documented in scientific journals? Yeah, it goes back millennia. And look, it's, it's very well documented and it's very powerful. And it really is a example of the collective nocebo effect. We've heard of the placebo. The nocebo is the placebo in reverse. You know, there was a case uh, not that long ago of a man who was taking experimental depression medication. And he had a fight with his girlfriend and he downed something like 27 pills. Uh, his blood pressure suddenly plummeted. He became very ill and they rushed him to the hospital. And for the next several hours, they put him on an IV. The, the symptoms would not abate. And then they managed to contact the people who were involved with the study. And one of them came down to the hospital and he said, oh, he said, you're in the placebo group. So he had basically inner sugar pills that he'd taken and he shouldn't have had that reaction, but it just goes to show the power of belief and expectation and framing on fear and, um, and just health in general. Well, what you're talking about there has also been recently documented in JAMA, um, the nocebo effect from the COVID-19 vaccines and the placebo group. Right. They had almost the same symptoms, I'm sorry, the same adverse events as people in the uh, trial group that got the actual dose. So just telling them what the adverse events were, were enough to make them appear. That's right. And, and it's funny you should mention JAMA, one of the top medical journals in the world, the Journal of the American Medical Association. It has a great reputation. What are some historical examples of mass psychogenic illness? I briefly mentioned a couple that you've, meant, that you've written about, but what are some more that people might be familiar with? Well, there are, there are so many, and it takes different forms, right? Because you've got mass psychogenic illness, and then you've got social panics. And so mass psychogenic illness, like the hiccuping schoolgirls in Danvers, Massachusetts, which is formerly known as Old Salem Village, um, and that happened in uh, 2013, 2014, where girls started to um, talk and they, they couldn't complete a sentence and they would, and it sounded like hiccups. Actually, they were eventually diagnosed with vocal tics. Now the tics that they had were much more common. These were teenage schoolgirls, much more common in males, boys and uh, children. To have that occur 
in a group of 18 schoolgirls at the same institution is just uh, unheard of. And so what was going on there, it appears that these um, symptoms of anxiety that helped to trigger this were spread through social media. And that's the interesting aspect of a number of recent cases of mass psychogenic illness is that they're spread through social media. But there are so many cases. Um, you can go back to the Middle Ages and there were cases of meowing nuns. And you look at that today through the prism of 21st century science and knowledge. And you think that's just so strange. And it's just so unusual. Yet if you go back and understand the historical context, that's the key. At the time in families, if a girl was born, now th these happened in medieval European nunneries in the strictest monasteries where if a female was born in a family, um, there were another mouth to feed, it was uh, uh, a burden on the family. So they would often put them in these monasteries and they were there against their will. They were forced to take vows of poverty vows of chastity, they would end up um, saying four or 500 Hail Marys and Our Fathers a day. Um, they became devoutly religious. And so in situations like that, you started to get outbreaks of twitching, shaking, altered states of consciousness. And what happens is um, under extreme stress like that, the nerves and the neurons that send messages to the brain start to become garbled and you, you get the twitching, shaking, altered states of consciousness. And they would start to um, meow collectively for hours a day. And this would go on in a waxing, waning fashion for months. There are many cases that have been documented of this and barking nuns as well. And a couple of cases of bleeding nuns like sheep. And what happened was at the time, up until the 1750s in parts of Europe, cats were considered familiars with the devil. If you saw a cat, you would try to injure it. You throw a rock at it. Um, they used to collect cats 25 at a time, put them in sacks, hoist them up. And at carnivals, they would put fires underneath and burn them to death. Uh, and people would laugh about it because they thought they were killing demons. So cats had a reputation and, and dogs as well of being familiars with the devil. They were associated with evil. And so when people went into altered states of consciousness, it's going to reflect the cultural coloring. And that's what happened. Just like today, uh, when they showed The Exorcist in the 1970s at movie theaters, some people who were uh, had histories of mental uh, illness, um, went into altered states of consciousness because of the sudden stress they were exposed to, and they would speak in a deep, gruff voice because that's the um, stereotypical voice of the devil today. So it reflects culture from the time period. So part of what you just said, symptoms without disease, really, without a physical disease, um, but before I ask too much about that, with mass psychogenic illness, are there certain, what does the scientific literature say about uh, certain variables that need to be in place for this to happen? Are there certain known causes? What, what has to come together to generate such a reaction? 
Well, it's a, a confluence of things. But what it really comes down to is plausibility. If it's plausible, it's possible. And so it's, it's a confluence of beliefs that occur. And you often get social panics overlapping with mass psychogenic illness. I mean, there was an interesting case back in 1954 when the United States was doing atomic bomb testing on Pacific atolls. And there was a belief that spread across the Pacific Northwest at the time that the fallout was coming down and it was contaminating uh, the countryside. And at that time, people started noticing on their windshields, there were these tiny pit marks, which they attributed to the atomic fallout. This became a national emergency. The governor of Washington state contacted President Eisenhower and declared a state of emergency. The US government sent experts out to investigate. Some university researchers investigated as well. And they concluded that those windshield pit marks had always been there. But for the first time, instead of looking through their windscreens, their windshields, people started looking at them and seeing things that had been already there. With things like Havana syndrome, you have mass psychogenic illness going on, but what you also have is a lot of people have nothing to do with mass psychogenic illness directly. It's by proxy. What's happened is somebody gets up in the morning and they've been told to be on alert for these symptoms of Havana syndrome, and they have a headache. Maybe they had one too many drinks the night before, and uh, maybe a bit of nausea, uh, feeling a bit disoriented. And they then start redefining a variety of mundane symptoms under this new label of Havana syndrome. And that's what's happened globally. You know, when the United States Department of Defense issued alerts in September of 2021 for 2.9 million service personnel around the world to be on the alert for symptoms of Havana syndrome, which as we've already mentioned are so vague as to be experienced by just about every human being who's ever lived um, on, in any given week in their life, um, to be on the alert for these vague symptoms. And now people are looking back over the last six years of their life and thinking, have I experienced any unusual symptoms during that time? And most people have. Now you're getting thousands of people, US diplomats and intelligence officers and military personnel around the world with these vague symptoms thinking that it may be a symptom of Havana syndrome. And by the way, now you have lawyers involved and there's the potential for monetary compensation. And it's also exciting to think that you could be part of one of the, the greatest mysteries uh, in recent times, Havana syndrome, that all these uh, scientists have been unable to figure out. Um, it's, it's just like UFOs or Bigfoot. To be part of one of the greatest mysteries in the history of the world, all you have to do is go outside in your backyard at night and look up into the sky. And if you look long enough, you'll see an object in the sky you can't identify, technically a UFO. Um, doesn't necessarily mean it's an extraterrestrial spacecraft. The same thing with Bigfoot. You wanna be part of one of the greatest mysteries in the history of the world? Just go out into the woods and keep looking long enough and you'll see a rustling in the bushes. And maybe you've seen a relative of, of, of humanity.
we'll go back and forth between mass psychogenic illness and Havana syndrome and both sides of it because you're reversed on both sides. So right now I want to talk a little bit about, um, it's been suggested that the cause of Havana syndrome, of course, is uh, this pulsed microwave energy. So let's talk about the science behind that. And be before that, what is, the what is pulsed microwave energy, supposedly? Well, that's a good question. Um, when you look at the claims of microwaves, when this first happened, nobody was saying microwaves. Nobody even mentioned microwaves until about 2018. They were saying it was a sonic weapon. Why were they saying, and I'm not changing the question around, but you have to go back to the beginning here. At the beginning, the allegation was in, in late 2016, early 2017, when the symptoms started to appear, the symptoms were seen as appearing with sound. So they hear the sound and feel the symptoms. So the theory was that it was an acoustical weapon, one that used sound waves to make people sick. And you have to go back to the beginning. The beginning was in November of 2016, you had several CIA officers working in a small unit in Havana, undercover, and they're walking near their homes in a posh suburb of Havana at night, and they're hearing these strange sounds, and they're wondering where they're coming from and what they are. And then about a month later, in late December of 2016, one of those officers had head pain, ear pain, and headache. A month later. And some, yep, and, and difficulty hearing, and he went to the embassy clinic. And he told them this. These are common symptoms that doctors would deal with uh, every week. And afterwards, he made an unusual observation. He said, you know, it's almost like someone is pointing a beam of sound at my home in the evening. And I wonder if this could be caused by that. And maybe there's a weapon involved. And a couple of other CIA officers in the same unit mentioned the same thing, that there was this strange beam of sound that seemed to be pointed at their homes in the evening. And this folk theory emerged that maybe the Cubans working with the Russians or the Chinese have developed a new secret weapon that was being used to harass the Americans. Mass psychogenic illness never occurs in a vacuum. There's always a social context. Why would you jump to such a far-fetched conclusion? Because long before the Americans opened up the embassy again under Obama in 2015, the American embassy in Havana, there was a long history of Americans, diplomats in Havana being harassed by Cuban agents. Why would they harass them? because we tried to kill, it was very well known, uh, Castro with a poison milkshake. There was gonna be an exploding, what? Um, shell, seashell underneath uh, the, the ocean because they knew he um, loved to scuba dive and they're gonna put one there and booby trap it and it was gonna explode and kill him. There were all these plots and it came out and there's a lot of hostility toward the, the American diplomats who were in Havana. And so, they became known, the agents, for being very hostile to the Americans. Um, you'd wake up in the morning, you'd go downstairs, and on your kitchen table, there'd be cigarette butts, and you don't smoke. 
There'd be dog poo on your kitchen floor and you don't have a pet. Some of your books would be rearranged on your bookshelf. Um, low level uh, harassment. You'd go in your car and you'd park somewhere and someone would park within a couple of inches of you so you can't get out. So this was very well known and part of CIA folklore. And every person who was sent to Havana in 2015 and afterwards was told, was counseled that in Cuba, you will be surveilled 24 seven. Even when you're sleeping at night, someone will be watching your home. And there's a long history of agents being hostile. So be on the lookout for that. And then all of a sudden in early 2017, American uh, diplomats in Cuba were told by their embassy, you may be the subject of a sonic weapon and don't sleep near your windows or stand near your windows. Um, and if you hear an unusual sound, move to another room. So they were told this. And so a lot of these people had their children over there with them. So you've got the stress of being in a hostile foreign country that you're being surveilled 24 seven. And now that you may be the subject of some new secret weapon, by any definition, that is stress. So that's how this case developed. And then the Canadians got involved because the Americans were sharing information with the Canadian diplomats. And so what happened was you had of the first group, this uh, JAMA study, Journal of the American Medical Association, came out with a study in 2018 of about two dozen diplomats. And these were the first people to be affected. And they reported that there were brain anomalies among these diplomats. Wait, before well, you go into thing. that, before you yep. go too far yep. into that evidence, um, yep. let me ask some, let me just follow up something you're saying. And I yep. apologize for interrupting. I just want to get some yep. stuff out there. We'll come back to JAMA for sure. But yep. what you're talking about right now is people were basically instructed to be hypervigilant. So yep. an odd noise, a flickering light bulb, um, anything could fit into, is that intention right. or not, right? You're assigning intention to a bunch of different stuff right away. Um, but, paranoia, paranoia. Okay, um, but cigarette butts in your kitchen or dog poo on the floor, there's evidence, physical evidence of harassment happening there. So then you know something took place. That's a different level than assigning intention to a flickering light bulb or hearing a sound, correct? That's right, yep. So for this, we'll come back to JAMA, I assure you. But I wanna stop just for a second and talk about this supposed sonic weapon. Um, even at that time, was there, was there any such weapon that was known to the military or anybody, or was this all just conjecture? Oh yeah, the United States has um, experimented with uh, sonic weapons. It's called loud sound. I mean, the Philippine government uh, blared loud Katy Perry music to break up a uh, government demonstration. Um, so we know that there are sonic weapons out there, loud sound. That seems to be about the only uh, effective use of uh, sonic weapons. They don't work very well because it disperses very quickly. Um, so yeah, and look, the US government has done all kinds of experiments with all kinds of uh, unusual weapons from the uh, 1970s into the 80s and early 90s, they experimented with remote viewing, right? 
uh, and they had millions of dollars invested over that time period to put people in rooms, military officers, to try to see what the Russians were doing and, and, and figure it out in your mind. Why were they doing that? Because they heard the Russians were doing it. And after 20 years, they concluded that there was nothing to it and they shut it down. So um, yeah, they've done a lot of, just because they've experimented with something doesn't mean it works. And by the way, if there are effective sonic weapons and microwave weapons out there, how come Vladimir Putin wasn't amassing on the border with Ukraine and is using now in the Donbass region sonic and microwave weapons? It would certainly stop a lot of the destruction that's going on today. Um, why? Because it doesn't work very well because there's something called the laws of physics. But to, to, just to get back for a second as to what happened there at the very end, so you had these claims of the acoustical weapons being used. JAMA does their study. Here's the bottom line. The, once this started, the American State Department said, look to their diplomats, why don't you record these attacks? So they did. They recorded the attacks. Eight of the first 21 victims made recordings when those attacks, the noise that happened, then they felt unwell, and they were later analyzed in 2018 by a classified group of government scientists specializing in acoustical analysis. And they concluded that they were the mating call of the Indies short-tailed cricket, one of the loudest crickets in the world. And so with microwaves, you, it, could, it was never going to be microwaves because of the so-called fray effect where the microwave strikes your head, stimulates nerves in your inner ear, which gives you a per perception of a barely audible clicking sound, but it's not an actual sound. It's not a sound wave. And so those recordings that people said they made we're never going to be microwaves because you can't record microwaves. And that was the flaw of the National Academy of Sciences study uh, that uh, it was the fray effect. It's, it was never going to be the fray effect for those sounds. But at the time, the National Academy of Sciences weren't aware of that report, it was kept classified. And the FBI report has still been kept classified, but we do know the conclusion. They concluded exactly as we did that it's mass psychogenic illness and not microwaves. So how do we've kind of gone from sonic weapons to pulsed microwave weapons? They're different things, though, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about the science behind these. So you can have loud. You can call, you know, um, blasting Katy Perry a sonic weapon because it's annoying to some people, or rap music's annoying to others, or Barry Manilow to others, so that can be a weapon. Okay, we'll call that a weapon. But that's not pulsed microwave energy. So how does it get, how does that line get blurred from annoying noises to pulsed microwave energy? Well, first of all, with the acoustical weapons, right, what you had was, um, it's just not possible to take a sound weapon and like point it at a building and affect the people inside. Because if you look at what was going on, the none of the victims were in the American embassy or the Canadian embassy. 
They were in one of two large hotels and they were in an apartment complex or in their homes. And so these are people deep inside these large hotels in Havana claiming to hear an unusual sound. It would defy the laws of physics to be able to target someone inside one of those hotels like that. The First of all, with sound waves, 99% of the sound waves would bounce off the outer wall. It's just not possible. It would be the equivalent of somebody um, standing at one end of a football field with a squirt gun and trying to hit a target at the other end. I mean, it's just not going to happen. And then with microwaves, the microwaves would literally heat your brain as well. And you would get, um, if there's any brain damage at all, you would get that showing up on an MRI, which has not been the case. But you'd also get other things if it's microwaves. You'd get Wi-Fi systems shutting down. You'd get computers being turned off. That has not been reported in Cuba, and it was not reported uh, internationally uh, either. And if you talk to people who are experts on microwaves, look, the journal Nature did a review um, in the past 10 years of all the research that's been done, uh, the military research into microwaves. And they concluded that over the last 50 years, um, the United States has been unable to produce a usable uh, practical weapon. And the title of the article was Wasted Energy. But my point here is when the National Academy of Sciences did their study and came out with their study, um, they were unaware of this secret report that the United States government had kept under wraps because it didn't jive, I'm assuming, with what they were saying, which was the microwave explanation. Um, they weren't aware of that. They weren't aware that those cricket sounds had turned out to have been, um, that's what the cause was. What you've just said there is actually very informative because if it were physically possible to have this pulse microwave weapon, targeting one person deep within their house, there would be physical evidence of an attack, not just that person having symptoms. Their computer would be destroyed, the Wi-Fi would go down, their cell phone wouldn't work, other things would happen. There would be physical evidence of an attack, just like the dog poo and the cigarette butts. Yes, yep. And, and so look, the, the, the real question is, and, and, and this is a summary of the entire case in one sentence. When you hear the sound of hoofbeats in the night, First, think horses, not zebras. The doctors at the American State Department went for the most exotic hypothesis early on. They were searching for unicorns when they should have stuck to mundane explanations. And one of the real mysteries here and really disappointing things, because my first job was as a journalist over 40 years ago, is the way journalists have reported this. When this first came out and 2017, it was August of 2017. Not long after there were these news stories that there were these scientists who were uh, gonna publish an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association. And they were looking at these mysterious white matter tract changes of their brains. And many of the uh, victims had these white matter tract changes. And about a year later, in February of 2018, that study came out in JAMA and they found only three of the victims they looked at had white matter tract changes. Two were mild, one was moderate. 
If you randomly picked 21 people off the street today, you'd have a similar breakdown because white matter tract changes are common in everything from depression to migraine to normal aging. And so it, it, it didn't pan out. And you had a similar thing happen with hearing loss. There were these media reports that there's a study coming out in a journal that found that about a third of the patients that were being looked at had hearing loss. When that study actually came out, they found that two of the patients they looked at from the American embassy in Cuba had hearing loss, both of whom had pre-existing hearing loss before they went to Cuba. And what had happened was they interviewed the suspect, uh, the, um, the patients, and they asked them if they thought they had hearing loss, and they said they did. But when they actually gave them the standard hearing test, they didn't. So you get all this misinformation that's being reported in the media. And it got reported for months and months and months. We heard about the hearing loss. Then when the actual study came out and they didn't have the hearing loss, it's boom, it's out there for a short time. And then the, the myth of hearing loss is in all those other stories that people keep running into. And so you got people out there today saying, oh, there was brain damage in the patients. They had white matter tract changes and they had hearing loss. That's unequivocally, absolutely not true, has not been demonstrated. So the science of pulsed microwave energy, um, what does physics or what do physicists say about this uh, proposed weaponry? I mean, is this something I could carry like a handgun or a sniper's rifle? I mean, are we talking like I'd need to put it in a van or an 18-wheeler or a battleship? How much energy would need to be generated for it to be effective? Is this something well, I can just... Go ahead. No, and, and look, uh, the experts I've talked to have said you're talking the size of um, a container that would go on a, on a train or something like that. And look- So a train to, car size. Yeah, and, and <laughs> to be able to well, attack somebody's home, attack somebody inside a hotel, a large hotel, um, why would you do that with some secret weapon just to, you know, you spent years and years trying to develop this. It just doesn't make sense. There was a, a report not that long ago of, I mean, it's in over a dozen countries now, right? There was a report of a U.S. embassy diplomat in South America who claimed that in his home there uh, at night, um, he'd heard these strange sounds and he believed he and his family members had been targeted with this weapon. Okay, so the Russians and the Cubans work and for years and years and develop some new secret sophisticated weapon and now they're flying it down to Colombia to harass a diplomat's family um, at night. It just doesn't make sense. And you know, look for more plausible explanations than the most exotic one that's out there. As we talk about this, um, we'll come back to this and reiterate it, but I don't want to minimize the symptoms and the fact that these people have symptoms, they, they're feeling this. Um, it's the it's the assignment of cause that's the important part here, um, because obviously there's something going on and maybe that's something that also needs to be taken up by the powers that be. Um, but before we go too far into that, many people describe, or many of the victims, describe sudden onset of symptoms. Sometimes they're alone, sometimes they're in a crowd, sometimes they're in a hotel or some kind of crowded situations. Based on what you just talked about, I mean, could you narrowly, even if this weapon existed the size of a train car. Could you beam it at one person in a crowd? 
I mean, what is what? What's your research tell you about that? No, because it, because it disperses. And here's the thing: when the State Department issued an alert in 2018 to all of its intelligence officers and diplomats around the world to be on the lookout for symptoms of Havana syndrome. And the Department of Defense issued its alert for all 2.9 military uh, million military personnel to be on the alert for these symptoms. What they basically did was issue an alert for symptoms of migraines and issues with the vestibular system, which about 30 to 40% of everybody as they get older will have some type of issue with that. The vestibular system is the issue that deals with the uh, inner ear, spatial awareness, balance, things like that. And look, throughout my entire life, a couple of times a year, I'll be sitting down and all of a sudden, my hearing will drop out and I'll hear a high-pitched sound. And then after a few seconds, it goes away. I've never known what that was until I was writing the book with Professor Balo, the neurologist at UCLA. And I told him that and he goes, oh, he goes, that's transient tinnitus. It's very common. And since that happened, I've asked students in my classes and uh, if that's ever happened to them, and it's very common. I say two thirds of the students will raise their hands. Uh, that happens uh, several times a year. And you've got all these medical conditions out there that people aren't familiar with. And when you are told that there's this condition, Havana syndrome, and you're given this vague list of symptoms, now people start to redefine what they had been vaguely aware of in the past. And there are much more, it happens again. It's like, ooh, I, I, I think I've just been attacked. Just like what happened in the Pacific with the atomic bomb testing, you know, suddenly you're scrutinizing the windshields. Suddenly you're scrutinizing your body more, more carefully and you're prone to misidentifying, uh, redefining an array of medical conditions under this new label of Havana syndrome. Ever since humans have lived in caves, We've had all kinds of um, unusual health conditions and we have them today. Now there's this label that will lump everything under that. Well, as a medical sociologist, let me ask you a specific question about that because you know, when I heard about some of these symptoms, one of the ones that I heard quite commonly was people would feel dizzy or disoriented during the day. I think one specific thing, this woman got up from her desk, she walked outside in Washington, D.C., um, down between the White House and she felt unusual. I can't remember her exact symptoms. But I was listening to that and thinking, well, you know, if I type in my computer for three hours and I get up to go get a drink, I feel a little bit disoriented. Or sometimes, you know, I had labyrinthitis once. I don't know if you've ever had that before, but all of a sudden you just feel like you're crooked. It's like you're car sick or something. Um, I've had exploding ear. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one where you're about to fall asleep and you hear an explosion and you wake up. It's another bizarre thing, but there's no explosion. So these symptoms, I've had most of these symptoms throughout my life, just generally, and I never thought, I just thought it was part of being human, I guess, like you're saying. It's really interesting you should bring up that case near the White House, because 60 Minutes, the CBS news broadcast, did a really um, 
I, I just I'm speechless at how poorly it was done, how sensational it was, and how I guess dangerous and irresponsible they are. And someone named Scott Pelle, um, that broadcast talked about. Uh, they interviewed people who were near the White House who'd had symptoms that they thought. Um, met the criteria for Havana syndrome. Uh, this one woman. Well, they did meet was, the criteria. They did meet the criteria because they're so vague. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And But to, to make the link with Havana syndrome and that the Russians may be targeting us, particularly at a time like now, is a very dangerous and irresponsible thing to do because that was a the, what that woman was experiencing was classic vestibular Symptoms. They had a guy who had been in, uh, who was a diplomat who lived in China with his family and said that he'd been attacked in China, uh, had Havana syndrome, came back to the US, was staying in a Philadelphia hotel where he was and his family were being evaluated for these symptoms by the US government. And in his hotel room at night, um, his kids were like moving around um, in their sleep. And um, he thought that was very unusual. Well, there's something called night terrors or night tremors that uh, affects about 40% of children that could easily explain that. But then he said he reached down to pick up one of his children and there was like a whooshing sound like running water. And the implication was that maybe they had been the victim of some kind of microwave attack. And he said when he picked up his other child as well and went to, to bring it up to him, that he heard that water running sound again. And 60 Minutes just left it like that. But all you have to do is ask a neurologist what that sound of running water might have been. And that is a classic symptom of tinnitus. In fact, there's, um, there's an audio expert who's written an article called, is that the water running or is that tinnitus? Now, 60 Minutes isn't stupid. They have very um, well-experienced and educated journalists on their program, um, why wouldn't they have given alternative mundane explanations for that in their broadcast? It's very disappointing to kind of suggest that this could have been the Russians who are engaging in some kind of microwave attack at the White House at this critical point in time. Look, what if, what if there are a cluster of reports like this that happen again, which is really plausible that that is tied to Russia? I mean, the US could get involved in the Ukraine directly. I don't know. But it's it's irresponsible and dangerous to make allegations like that when you're only giving one side of the story. And that's the problem I have with 60 Minutes. You wanna speculate, you wanna interview those people, you wanna talk about it, fine. But you, you should have an obligation to give the other side of the story. And the other side of the story is the claims of microwave attacks and what's been claimed uh, associated with the Journal of the American Medical Association articles are bad science. And that's not an opinion. That's a fact. It's bad science. And that they couldn't consult 
with standard neurologists who would know that any neurologist, any neurologist in the world who looks at the two JAMA studies and thinks that that's good science should lose their jobs. It, is, it was so poorly done. Um, and it's a real mystery. The real mystery of Havana syndrome is not what's going on now. It's how the Journal of the American Medical Association could have published the two studies they did um, in such a well-respected publication. I mean, it, it, it defies logic. I did look at those, and it was interesting because at the very end, of course, um, well, not of course, but they do write, there's no, um, they can't uh, ascertain any clinical significance to this. So they went through all this explanation, but then at the end, they don't know if it means anything, basically, is what they're saying. Look, I, I'll issue a challenge right now. I challenge the editors of the Journal of the American Medical Association to come out publicly and support the 2018-2019 Journal of the American Medical Association studies on Havana syndrome and say that they were based on sound science. They weren't. If you look, look, there were so many anomalies going on here. Um, when they, that study was given to them, they went to my co-author, Robert Ballo at UCLA Medical Center, the foremost expert on the vestibular system in the world. He's written the standard textbook. And they asked him to review the article. And he did, and he rejected it. And they published it anyway. And Bob Ballo told me this. He said, you know, in my career, and Bob's nearly 80 now, he said, in my career, I've reviewed, peer-reviewed, about a thousand articles in medical journals. And every single one of them, when I review it, the editors give me the other reviews to examine. It, that happened every single time except one. That was the JAMA article that they gave him. They didn't give him any other reviews. I wonder if there were other reviews. And so, and he said there was, there was incorrect information in this article, you know, claims about collusion. Like it couldn't be mass psychogenic illness because there's no evidence of collusion. I mean, that's just wrong. It's just factually incorrect. And they still published it anyway. And it's a real mystery there. When you, when you look at the National Academy of Sciences study, you had a, um, you didn't have any expert specialists on mass psychogenic illness, except Simon Wesley at King's College London. And then early on, when he was on the panel, he gave a radio interview in which he said, you know, I think mass psychogenic illness is a possibility here. They kicked him off the National Academy of Sciences panel when he stated that. So going back to JAMA again, in 2018, they came out with that study. And in that study, they used as a threshold of impairment 40% for the, for the test they gave um, for Havana syndrome. What that means is, I don't know how many billions of people there are in the world, maybe 8 billion. Well, over three, to, over 3 billion people in the world would classify as having uh, symptoms of Havana syndrome then. Uh, the way they set that up, it was a, a, more, a, a better threshold of impairment. Uh, a standard one would have been 5%. And when you look at the 2019 Journal of the American Medical Association study, they had 12 of the patients that they looked at who supposedly had Havana syndrome. 
12 of those patients had histories of concussion. How many had a history of concussion in the control group? Zero, none. That alone could explain the differences between the two groups. But brain anomalies are not brain damage. It's not unusual to look at small cohorts of groups like that and to find brain anomalies. Um, if you looked at the teeth of everyone on the set of um, ABC News Tonight or something of 20 or 30 people, you'd find anomalies. Why? Because you always have some type of variation like that, but the anomalies were not so significant. They said they couldn't have been caused by individual variation. Well, translation, they weren't very significant then. And so that's the issue. Brain anomalies have been reported in the media, and there definitely were brain anomalies in the humans. They, that's been reported as brain damage. There is absolutely no evidence of brain damage in the Cuban cohort. And now you've got these people all over the world. You know, they get interviewed in a, in a there's a media interview and they'll, they'll say, oh, I went to a neurologist and they say I had brain damage and, and it was from a weapon or something. It's like, show us the medical record if you're gonna say that. But we, we can't see anything here. It's just people making claims now. Just like after the, uh, in, in August of 2017, in Havana, right after the State Department came out and acknowledged that this Havana syndrome was going on, right after that, within a couple of months, 36 different people, tourists, visitors to Havana in the last several years, came out and told the Associated Press that they'd been in one of those two large hotels that supposedly had had those attacks occur. And they had similar claims of, of uh, disorientation, uh, nausea, when they heard unusual sounds. Well, the United States government, the State Department, never interviewed any of those people. They just said, oh, go see your local neurologist. But if they had been affiliated with the uh, local embassy, they'd be flying them into Havana and, and doing um, detailed testing of them for Havana syndrome and claiming they'd been attacked. You know, there's so many double standards that are going on here that people aren't aware of. People aren't aware that Bob Balo was the first person to review the 2018 JAMA study and he rejected it. That's why we wrote the book together so people would be more aware of it. People aren't aware that, um, when Professor uh, Simon Wesley was invited to be on the panel, then came out and said he was um, looking at the evidence and that it, it suggested um, the presence of mass psychogenic illness, they kicked him off the panel. Now that's politics. And I think the problem here is politics has been mixed with science. Let me and that's you. the fundamental issue. Let me ask you a question about that, but um, let me go back just a little bit, actually. When you're speaking about the 60 Minutes uh, episode or the segment they did on that, I watched it as well, and I, I kept thinking they, they were always leading in for the skeptical voice to come out. Like, I kept thinking, okay, now the skepticism's gonna come in because it always seemed to be leading that way. Um, it seemed like when they spoke to that person from China to Philadelphia, that was the perfect uh, example to say, well, is it more likely that someone followed you here with a weapon or that you have some kind of medical issue 
and it just appeared again when you were back in the States. That's first of all, what's more likely there? But the other interesting thing was they had Tom Bolton on, and he made the comment, I can't think of any other explanation. And so I thought, okay, now someone's going to say, well, actually there are. There's a dozen different explanations. But they let that like stand on its own as if it was some kind of definitive statement. Yeah, you mean John Bolton, oh, sorry. the former Secretary of State. Yeah. I do, sorry. Uh, who was in the room there with Trump, right? He wrote that book. Um, so that happened, I think, when they were in um, London. And so then they had a whole a hotel to their own, right? And, and some people had symptoms. I mean, people get medical conditions all the time. And you're right. And look, most of the neurologists I've talked to who are familiar with the JAMA studies and, and what's reported to happen are skeptics. Um, is 60 Minutes trying to get clicks and views to hype up a story? Um, it's a dangerous way to do it. It's an irresponsible way to do it. But most of the people I know who are neurologists and in the medical field who, who are familiar with the facts, who've taken the time to look into what's happened and, and done things like read our book, are skeptical of, of all of this. And um, it reminds me of Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, or in the night, imagining some fear. How easy is a bush, supposed a bear? You know, and, and in this case, you're literally talking about the Russian bear. At a time, thoughts have consequences, claims have consequences. I come back to it again with all these claims about the White House. What if, what if there are a cluster of reports around the White House and they blame the Russians for it? What then? What's going to happen as a result of that? I don't know, but it's a dangerous thing because I don't like what's going on in Ukraine, but there is absolutely no evidence that the Russians are involved with Havana syndrome. Or, and they keep saying, oh, the Cubans must be aware as well. What are the Cubans getting out of it? I mean, what's in it for them? They wanted good relations with the Americans. And if you've been to Cuba, certainly the Cubans weren't behind it. Because as I'm going to the airport in Havana, and this was in 2020 when I was there, as I'm driving to the airport, I have to dodge little carts pulled by donkeys and horses with loose hay in the back, because that's how advanced um, the, Cuba is at the present time. I mean, it's very, it's like living in the 1940s and 50s. Um, the Neurology Institute that I visited, uh, they were running on a generator with diesel. I think there are no more than three working MRIs in the country. Um, Cuba is not exactly technologically advanced. Let's get to the politics of it. What, do you think mass psychogenic illness it's a scientifically defined, well-researched event. It's happened historically, it comes, it goes. It's, it's even recently, in the last 50 years in the United States, have you done, ha, you, you've seen it and you've researched on it. It's a scientifically established thing. But do you think there's some kind, what's the political part about it? Is it the, that the word psycho is in there? Because you're not calling people crazy. You're not saying they're mentally ill. What is the problem with assigning mass psychogenic illness to this situation? Well, that is, that's the heart of the issue. In September 2021, Pamela Spratlin, 
a former U.S. ambassador who had headed the Biden panel on Havana syndrome for about six months at that time, was on a conference call with several Havana syndrome patients. And at the time, one of the patients asked her, they said, oh, there was a recent media report that the FBI study into Havana syndrome was leaked. And they said it was mass hysteria. You don't believe that, do you? And she said, well, I'm keeping all options on the table. Well, within a few days, because of the public outcry that she was considering mass psychogenic illness as a possibility, she was forced to resign. That tells you all you need to know about whether politics or science is driving the investigation. And people were coming out saying things like, I'm not mentally ill, uh, I'm not disturbed. Um, and so there is a popular misunderstanding of what mass psychogenic illness is, and even among parts of the medical community. It doesn't mean that you're crazy or have a mental illness in the conventional sense. Mass psychogenic illness is based on anxiety that's based on a belief. We all have beliefs, therefore we are all potential victims. And if you don't think that you're a potential victim, then you're even more vulnerable. This brings me back to something I had mentioned earlier, which is there's something going on there. There's the stressors, there's the anxiety. So maybe if it was looked at seriously, um, rather than assigning it to this outside cause, people could get some help. And instead of making them hypervigilant, um, they could, I, I'm not sure what that help would be if you need a squeeze ball or a place, a relaxation room or whatever, but perhaps that's the issue here, is the stress of being assigned overseas, the stress of being, um, you know, the hardship that you're going through. Do you think that part of what plays into that um, is that it's not a military persona to be susceptible to anxiety and stress like that? A couple of things here, uh, a couple of notes I've written down. First of all, if you look at the history of mass psychogenic illness, like those schools in Danvers, Massachusetts in 2013, 2014, like the famous case in Leroy in 2011, 2012, when you had similar case of vocal tics, twitching, shaking uh, in schoolgirls. Um, these cases go away on their own over time as the stress naturally reduces, but you've got an artificial thing going on here. You got the media stoking it up. Oh, there's something more to this. And so it's not allowed to subside over time like it naturally does in these cases die down. Um, the second thing is, this is a standard textbook case of mass psychogenic illness. Um, it really, it, it's not that hard. Um, it's really obvious to me and to most of the experts I've talked to who are familiar with the case. And I think thirdly, and most importantly, you cannot underestimate the power of the E word. And the E word is embarrassment. To think that the United States government has spent the better part of the last six years, wasted tens of millions of dollars, accused foreign governments of attacking their diplomats, 
and cost the Cuban government potentially tens of millions of dollars in tourist revenue. To think they've done that all because of the mating call of the Indies short-tailed cricket and the Jamaican field cricket. Um, it, it is embarrassing. And I do believe there are people inside the United States government today who have stoked these fears with news outlets like 60 Minutes and other programs because it's embarrassing to think they got it wrong and they got it so badly wrong um, that look, look, we um, really botched our intelligence with what happened in Afghanistan, right? We are not infallible. Uh, and one thing we've done pretty well in the past, I think, is when we make mistakes, eventually we admit to them. And I think that's what's happened now. And I hope people out there understand what's going on. What's going on is the 2018 report of these uh, secret report, the so-called Jason Scientist Group, who looked at this, concluded it was extremely unlikely that microwave, pulse microwave radiation was involved. Yet at the same time, the US government officials who knew that report was there, including Congress people like Marco Rubio, were coming out and saying, oh, you know, there's something more going on here. And you had Congress people saying, suggesting it was microwaves. When they knew there was a secret report that said it was extremely unlikely, that was the Jason report. And they would have known that the FBI said the same thing. But that FBI report, the FBI report was kept under wraps, still hasn't been released. But they concluded, we know the conclusion, that it was mass psychogenic illness and not the involvement of microwaves. Again, they would have known those reports were there and they kept them quiet. In September of 2021, through the Freedom of Information Act, that 2018 Jason report of elite scientists came out. And then the FBI report was leaked around the same time as well. Then you had in early 2022, the main CIA who'd been investigating this came out and said of over a thousand cases, we can explain most of them as mundane medical conditions and anxiety, which is code word for psychogenic illness. And you had headlines about that for a few days. And then all of a sudden, you had this report of this advisory panel to the CIA come out. Um, this would have been in early February of this year, saying, oh, we think it's pulse microwave radiation. Well, who did that? Who did that report, that small advisory report? That advisory report that said it was most likely pulse microwave radiation in a small number of these cases is the same man, David Relman of Stanford University, who headed the National Academy of Sciences report. What did that report conclude? That some of the cases were the result of pulse microwave radiation. So you've got now, you've got the panel put out by the Jason scientists, skeptical. You've got the FBI report, skeptical. You've got the main CIA report, skeptical. And then you've got these outliers, the, the small advisory panel 
which is kind of linked with the National Academy of Sciences because you got the same person heading it and steering it, saying something totally different. I would suggest that the David, the David Relman panels are the outlier, and I'll tell you why. David Relman has come out and said, oh, it's, it's a mystery because there's vestibular system damage that's occurred, and he believes it's through pulse microwave radiation. Bob Bala, who I wrote the book with, is adamant. As the foremost expert in the world on the vestibular system, there was no vestibular system damage demonstrated. And the other thing is, with the National Academy of Sciences panel, they couldn't rule out mass psychogenic illness. So what they did, it was very interesting. They said there was uh, mass psychogenic illness is a possibility, but there's no... Um, there's not sufficient information to assess it. And they specifically said there was zero epidemiological evidence on the early spread, so we can't assess it. That's not true. That report came out in December of that year. In May of that year, our book came out, and we outlined the early epidemiological spread, which is really interesting because my research was cited in that report, it was only a 70 some odd page report, the National Academy of Sciences was cited, I think 11 times. They cited me as an expert on mass psychogenic illness and the research on Havana syndrome. Great, but they left something out. They left the research I did with Professor Balo that was published eight months earlier. They ignored it, they, act as if, they acted as if it, it hadn't been published. Now, just imagine you have a panel of scientists who are gathering information on this mysterious illness that's going around. You're trying to figure it out. And the only book that's been published on that by scientists is published eight months before your report comes out and you ignore it. You're not aware that it came out. I made the chief medical officer at the State Department aware of the book and that our, what our conclusions were and that it was coming out. And he didn't ask to see the report, didn't ask anything more about it. He's the same person that commissioned the National Academy of Sciences report. So my question is, when, when, to David Relman, if he's out there, how come you ignored the early epidemiological evidence in our book? And by the way, most of that report wasn't from secret government documents. He stated that most of the National Academy of Sciences uh, report that was done uh, because of COVID was done through public sourcing, okay, through publicly available documents. And if that's the case, ProPublica and Tim Golden and Sebastian Rotella published a piece which looked at um, confidential documents from the American embassy uh, in Cuba. They interviewed dozens of people in Cuba uh, about the early spread. And that's the early epidemiological spread. And by the way, Tim Golden has won two Pulitzer Prizes. He's a respected journalist. So they ignored those uh, publicly uh, available um, documents that were out there and they ignored our book. My question is why? I'd love to interview David Roman and ask him that.
because it's just not possible. Um, it's either scientific incompetence, which I don't believe, or we're just going to choose to ignore this. And I think they chose to ignore it. Why? So you've said the CIA has largely abandoned the hypothesis. The FBI largely yep. abandoned the hypothesis. Yep. It's still out there, of course. It's a media sensation now. Um, you just mentioned epidemiology, the science of epidemiology. Um, common in many disease outbreaks, if there's a, what is it, uh, Legionnaire's disease, you can trace it to a certain place and fix it. Or if there's an outbreak of food poisoning, you use epidemiology and you find, okay, let's recall this lettuce or whatever. So you're saying that same uh, scientific method can be used in mass psychogenic illness. Sometimes you can trace a food outbreak right to its source, okay? How far can you go in a mass psychogenic illness outbreak? Can you get to the bottom? Yeah, you can trace it back to patient zero, which is what happened here. But look, not every case is mass psychogenic illness. I don't believe for a moment that the CIA officer who had the ear pain and headache and went to the embassy clinic in late December of 2016 was suffering from mass psychogenic illness. I think he had an earache and head pain, right? Probably had an ear infection, something along those lines, very common symptoms. And so I'm not saying that's psychogenic. A lot of the people claiming symptoms of mass psychogenic illness are not suffering from, uh, well, who are claiming symptoms of Havana syndrome are not suffering symptoms of mass psychogenic illness. They're suffering symptoms. They're having mundane medical conditions and some not some mundane medical conditions that occur to human beings every day on this planet. And they get redefined under this new label. So there is that that you have to deal with people saying, oh, you're saying all these people are hysterical or suffering from mass psychogenic illness. I'm not saying that at all. There's all kinds of things, layers that are involved here. But um, yes, you can go back and you can trace this from patient zero. And then he went to the embassy clinic and then it spread to the American embassy who was sharing their information with the Canadian embassy. And then um, eventually this gets out in early August of 2017. And then all of a sudden now, all these people who visited Cuba in recent years, within a couple of months are reporting they had the same thing, but the State Department's ignoring them, right? And now it has ballooned globally. People say, oh, it must be true. There's something to this Havana syndrome thing because now it's all over the world. That's just the opposite. That's like Bigfoot. Someone says there's Bigfoot in your backyard. You're seeing it there. But now they're seeing it all over the world, right? It's um, And look, there's a lot of this that reminds me of outbreaks of UFOs, uh, Bigfoot, chupacabras, right? Um, the classic UFO or Bigfoot outbreak is there is an initial sensational case. It gets blown up in the media. And then people start to scrutinize their environment for evidence of this foreign agent, whatever it is, right? So ordinarily, you'd walk around and you wouldn't stare at the sky. But now you've been told there's, uh, there's flying saucers out there and somebody was recently abducted. So you start you start staring at the sky when you ordinarily don't, or you, you stare at, at the woods and a rustling in the, in the bushes becomes a, a Bigfoot um, and staring in the sky becomes a flying saucer because human perception is very fallible. You know, the human mind doesn't work like a video cassette recorder. We take in information, we interpret information as we take it in. 
like the escaped panda in Rotterdam a number of years ago. There was a panda that escaped from a zoo and people were seeing it everywhere. There were dozens of sightings throughout people's backyards. And eventually they found the panda. It was about 100 meters from where it had escaped. And it had clearly been dead for several days. So what were people seeing? Human perception is very fallible. Like Maria Rubio in Port Arthur, New Mexico, who in 1977 was cooking a tortilla on her skillet and burned it and thought she saw the face of Jesus, let alone nobody knows what Jesus looked like, assuming he was an historical figure, but thought she saw the face of Jesus. And then you had tens of thousands of people flocking to her home every year since to see this um, tortilla under glass that people think uh, is uh, possibly a miracle. Uh, unfortunately, uh, fairly recently, she gave it to her, I think it was her granddaughter, to take to school a show and tell, and she dropped it. So I don't think the, uh, I think it's in pieces now and they just have the photograph. But uh, I mean, there's somebody that had uh, what, Jesus or the Virgin Mary on a, a grilled cheese sandwich, right? Um, you, um, you get these where, where people see what they wanna see because there's ambiguity out there, like the face on Mars with Percival Lowell uh, in the late 1800s thinking he could see uh, canals on Mars. So, um, you know, human beings are very fallible uh, you know, we can ask some of the people, oh, we can't ask some of the people who were convicted of murder and were on death row and died uh, because they were already executed before we found the DNA evidence that exonerated them. But they were convicted on DNA evidence. So I'll give you one quick story. Um, a number of years ago, I was a graduate student at James Cook University in North Queensland, Australia. And on a Saturday night, I went up to the graduate office and I met another graduate student and she said to me, she goes, she goes, Robert, she goes, you're a fantastic dancer. And I said, what? She goes, I saw you last night in the city at such and such a club. I mean, you're fantastic. And I said, I, I can't dance. I mean, it's not me. She goes, no, it was you. And I just thought to myself, what if instead of dancing, that person had stabbed somebody and ran off? She'd be swearing up and down. Oh, that, that was Robert Bartholomew. Oh, that's, that's your man right there. That's the guy you want to get. Um, and, and so many times that's happened in history um, because we are so vulnerable. Um, in ear witness testimony, you talk about hearing sounds, ear witness testimony is even worse than eyewitness testimony. And most people can't even identify their own relatives when given an ambiguous uh, situation. That's the research that's been done on, on that. So let's sum it up here. So. I guess we'll have to say again, when you hear horse beats, hoof beats, think horses, not zebras, and certainly not unicorns. Um, the plausibility of Pulse microwave weaponry, there are dozens of other more likely explanations. The symptoms are so unique, I mean, so common. <laughs> um, not only mass psychogenic illness, just you're assigning symptoms to Havana syndrome. The last question I have for you, which you probably can't answer is, how do we dig ourselves out of this hole of embarrassment, this deep hole that's been dug, if Biden's Havana legislation passes unanimously without one skeptical voice? That is a huge embarrassment there. The wheels of science turn slowly 
but they turn. And uh, I think among the mainstream scientific community, there's great skepticism. Anybody who looks at those studies has to be skeptical. Um, when you look at this case, I think to myself, history never repeats itself, but it rhymes. And what we're seeing with Havana syndrome is the rhyming of history. There have been outbreaks in the past, there'll be outbreaks in the future. Um, and do we learn the lessons? Not really, we learn them the hard way, but um, it will come out and this will be taught to medical students for years to come as a classic case of mass psychogenic illness. My concern is that you're going to get a case like um, that's likely to deal with contaminated food, contaminated air, contaminated water. That's not gonna be so self-limiting as this one here that could affect tens of thousands of millions of people for a relatively short period of time and have major global disruption. Um, you know, because what's the old Thomas theorem from 1923, undefined situations is real. They are real in their consequences. And so you have the potential here with so much misreporting on Havana syndrome that to get another outbreak occur um, and with far greater impact, but you also still have the potential impact and fallout from the very poorly done 60 minutes broadcast that, that the seed was planted and there's a real possibility that that still could come home to roost that, oh, uh, a cluster has been identified. We think it's the Russians. What's gonna happen there? If we think the Russians have deliberately targeted members of Congress, members of the White House staff, uh, even the president um, and his cabinet, which was suggested during the 60 Minutes broadcast, um, what would we do? And how much would that escalate tensions when in fact there was no evidence at all to support that the Russians were involved? That's just, it's just something we don't need right now. And we don't need to be wasting tens of millions of dollars on a wild goose chase when we have things like major wars going on and we have global warming and a pandemic that we're still trying to get over. Well, this is the one time maybe I'm hopeful that Dr. Oz will come out with a supplement that cures Havana syndrome and he can make his millions off that and people will take that and that'll be the end of it. Well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, what it, was it? The, uh, the Russians have a saying, deeds, not words. And as a journalist, it's very frustrating to see. I know journalists can get it wrong from time to time. And the problem is most people aren't experts on sonic weapons microwave weapons, insect mating calls. You know, there's so many layers to Havana syndrome. What do you do as a journalist? You go out and you interview people who are experts in those areas. And most of the experts who are being interviewed on these news broadcasts who were pro Havana syndrome were outliers. The because look, you're all, you can always find somebody out there who's a scientist, who has a PhD, who believes in Bigfoot. There aren't many, but you can find some. Or 
that people are being abducted by space aliens. John Mack at Harvard believed that. But 99% of scientists don't believe that. So as journalists, you can find people who are skeptical of global warming, although the evidence for global warming and being human created is overwhelming in my view and from the scientific literature as well. But I can, I can cherry pick a couple of people to have an exciting broadcast to have the pro and the con. But I think that's part of it as well. You can just cherry pick these people out there. Um, but if you, if you take the time to look at the JAMA studies, it's bad science. I don't think it's bad science. I know it's bad science. And any scientist worth their salt who takes the time to look at it will have to reach the same conclusion. My, my last point, I think it's very important to make, and that is, this is nothing unusual. There have always been technology scares throughout history. And that's what this is. It's a technology scare. It's no different than the mobile phone scare. It's no different than the 5G scare. When ice cubes first came out, people were afraid that uh, if you uh, drank water with ice cubes in it, that it would make you sick because it was created from artificial uh, means. Um, when railroads first came out, people got railway spine from being jiggled on the train. Now we don't have it, why? Um, when radio came out, AM radio, it was believed that the sound waves were making people sick. Um, there's all kinds of uh, music. Certain types of musical instruments were believed to make people sick in the past. So Havana syndrome is nothing new. It really is a technology scare dressed up in a different garb for modern day acceptance because at its heart, you are looking at a fear of new technology that's been developed by a foreign government that could harm us. Yet the evidence for that technology is simply not there and it would defy the laws of physics. I think that's a very important point to make. So it really isn't anything new if you put it into this genre of historical scares, the most recent being the wind farm concerns that the turning blades in wind farms are causing people to get sick. Well, as it turns out that the vast majority of people living near wind farms around the world don't report any illness whatsoever, but in the few wind farms where there's all these activist groups and there's all this media publicity, people are claiming to get uh, sick. And what are the symptoms? The same symptoms of Havana syndrome, very vague, ambiguous symptoms. All right, hopefully it won't take five years. Actually, I'll be surprised if it, if it takes five years or less. I would think more. And I fear for Scott Pelley, I think his name might go down in journalism schools as Bernie Madoff or gerrymandering or, his name will become synonymous with bad journalism, I think, in a few years. I'd love to be interviewed by 60 Minutes and see what they have to say about picking outliers and just picking, uh, cherry picking certain people. And why didn't they have skeptics out there? There are many skeptics, many reputable skeptics like Sergio Delacella uh, at Edinburgh University, who's the editor of the respected journal Cortex, who um, was just stunned by... Uh, some of the claims that were being made and looks at it as, as just poor neuroscience. Why don't they interview them? Why are they interviewing these other people? I don't know. Uh, only they can answer for themselves. But my suggestion would be to speculate. They want clicks and views and sensationalism sells 
and skepticism doesn't. All right. Dr. Robert Bartholomew, thank you so much. You have been my guest here on 502 Conversations. You are a medical sociologist, a writer, a journalist, human rights advocate. You are the author of Havana Syndrome, Mass Psychogenic Illness, and the Real Story Behind the Embassy Mystery and Hysteria. Yeah, Havana Syndrome. And that's the main thing to remember, Havana Syndrome. And that, you know, this is, it's not real and we have better things to do with our time. Dr. Bartholomew, once again, thank you so much for being my guest here on 502 Conversations. Enjoy your afternoon. You. You're welcome.